0: My text is uh, the last verse that Kerry read. For the foolishness of God is wiser than a man's wisdom. And then particularly this phrase, and the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. <clears throat> when my uh, girls were little, a Superman film came out uh, and uh, there was a uh, general Zod and two aliens and uh, They're creating havoc because uh, you can fire machine guns at them. It doesn't make any difference. You can fire bazookas and bombs or whatever. And uh, the U.S. president appears on TV and he shouts, where are you, Superman? Uh, And he's shouting that because uh, either Superman uh, can't defeat the enemy, Zod, or he doesn't care enough to come and even try. So either there's a weakness in Superman's uh, strength, or there's a weakness in his character. Where are you, Superman? He shouts. Uh, and in First Corinthians, the apostle is reminding us that to the world, uh, religious Jews or uh, irreligious uh, Gentiles, uh, to the world, the Christian gospel is ridiculous, frankly, um, foolish in the extreme. It's nonsense. A crucified man is apparently the saviour. That, that he's died on the cross he was executed uh, and apparently that somehow helps us you know uh, I worked with a lady when I was a young Christian <clears throat> she said to me well I was a I was a man uh, dying on a cross 2,000 years ago and he helped me it was an excellent question it's a good question and this was an enormous stumbling block to Jews and foolish to the Gentiles and nothing much has changed but to those who are being saved, as Kerry read it there, uh, the pow- it's the power and wisdom of God. But it doesn't look like it. For the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom. What does that mean? The weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. What does that mean? What? what? The weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. How? The point that Paul is making here is the gulf between us, even at our best, the gulf between the cleverest of the clever and God is absolutely massive. It is infinite. The foolishness of God, even if there could be such a thing, which they can't, but if there could be like, um, you know, you, you see years ago in, in my street anyway, with loads of kids in our street, and quite regularly there were fights. And somebody would sometimes say to somebody, I could beat you with my hand behind my back. You know, in other words, it wouldn't be a contest even. Like me and Mike Tyson, you know, it wouldn't be much of a contest. You know, one punch, it'd be all over. It'd probably be permanently all over for me if he hit me. Uh, The foolishness of God, the gulf is, is immense. If God could be foolish, if you like, then even his foolishness would be much, 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 much too good for the cleverest person on earth. Einstein, you know, put the, got the blackboard and he put a little dot of chalk in the corner and he said, that's how much I know and all the rest I know, no, not, I don't know it. And could God be in there? Certainly he could, why not? But that's the tiniest bit I know, that tiny speck. Job 38, I always remember the first time I read this, where Job's got all these questions because all sorts of bad things are happening. He's got loads of questions and the Lord God comes to him and said, Job, I got some questions for you. Where were you when I laid the foundation for the earth? Have you ever given orders to the morning? Do lightning boats report to you? Well, of course, Job is out of his depth. He can't answer any of these questions. He's, He's just humiliated, humbled. The contrast between our intellectual ability and our physical ability and that of God is too huge to even calculate i remember taking a an re thing in um, in a very post school and the teacher was there and he said to me i decide i mean he's an re teacher you know teaching the bible you know, i decide with my considerable intellect what god is saying from this book well you know considerable intellect, where do you start with somebody who's so confused about his own ability napoleon said this i conquer through violence jesus conquers through love i know men and i tell you this jesus is no mere man well who is he then if he's no mere man we know he is god the son in the 90s uh, sting had a song uh, something in uh, i've lost my faith in a holy church well you know why sting you know why did you have faith in a holy church anyway you know, did you confuse faith in church with faith in Jesus Christ? A Jewish author wrote that he lost his faith in God in the death camp in Auschwitz. Well, what did he mean by that? Why, why did he somehow the awful things that were happening in the death camp, how did that transfer to him losing his faith in God? Well, obviously the bad things were happening. Okay, so how does that transfer to, well, I'm losing my faith in God? Because he was asking well, well, hang on, I'm not expecting, God, I'm expecting you to come and do something. Why aren't you doing anything? Are you paralyzed? Are you sitting on your hands? Where are you, God? And this is still a big issue, isn't it? Why doesn't God do something? It was a question that loads of people asked me when I was a young Christian. Why doesn't God do something there? About rape and murder and poverty and all the other sins in the world and ills. Is he too weak? an author who describes himself as a Christian in a, one of his books. He's a brilliant writer, but some of the stuff he wrote did make my hair curl, a little bit of air I had. He said this, even God has a hard time keeping evil in check. So, well, God is pretty puny then. If God is not in control, then what sort of God is he then? He's trying his best, according to that author, but even his best... Can't overcome evil. Do you follow the warped logic there? I mean, some of you will recall the Old Testament passage, 2 Kings 7. The city is being besieged. There's a desperate famine. The enemy are all around them. Uh, There's no food coming in, you know. And and Elisha comes and he says to this officer, uh, um, do you know what's going to happen? God is going to come. God is going to come. He's going to get rid of this enemy. He's going to get rid of the famine. And then what does the officer say? Well, look now where the officer says, even if God could open the floodgates of heaven, even if he could, he won't be able to do this, get rid of our enemy and get rid of the famine. And of course, what happens? The Lord comes in power, the enemy are routed, the famine is over. And in the stampede, as people are so excited, that officer gets trampled to death. In other words, he was saying, well, God can do lots of things, but, but not this. He's not strong enough to do this though. Charles Simeon went to Cambridge University 782, and uh, he was converted. He he was told that all students had to attend the chapel. He didn't know much about it, so he got the Bible, and he started reading it. He was converted. He was the only convert he knew. He'd never met another Christian, and uh, he began to preach. And uh, for 12 years, the posh people locked their pews in the church, so he he would preach to anybody willing to stand in the aisles. So they had to stand for an hour or whatever it was while you preached, And he preached for 12 years like that. What kept him? He eventually stayed 54 altogether because people got converted wonderfully. And then uh, all those uh, rich, arrogant, uh, atheistic people who were just religious, they uh, died, I suppose. Uh, what kept him preaching all that 12 years? Well, people are just hostile all the time. Well, the power of God. But it didn't look like power, did it? Because all the the, uh, movers and shakers in the church had locked their pews. It didn't look as if there was power in Simeon's message. But he concentrated on the two H's, his own helplessness and our helplessness and God's holiness. In Luke 24, you remember, Jesus is walking along the road to Emmaus and these two very disappointed people. And Jesus explains, you know, all the scripture, he says, it's all about me. It's all written about me. It's all focused on me, he says. And so when Jesus is on the cross at Calvary, beaten to a pulp before he's nailed there, where was God? What are you doing, God? Why are you sitting on your hands? Why are you doing nothing? Why is Jesus so helpless? Is he doing nothing? One of my favourite films is called Witness, Harrison Ford. And is he, a policeman, ends up with the Amish, who are very religious. And, of course, the Amish, uh, they, they go into town to buy their whatever it is. And, of course, the y- local yobs come and they got this ice cream and they're sticking it in the nose of one of the Amish fellas to see if he'll retaliate, and he won't retaliate. Is he weak then? Is he weak? Because Harrison Ford has the Hollywood idea of of weakness and strengthening, and he gets off his cart, and he punches the book and whatever. But was the guy who, who put up with that, was he weak? Why is Jesus just hanging on the cross doing nothing? Is he helpless too? Oh, hang on. Oh, he's saying something. He's saying something in the darkness. Why is it dark? Because there's this meteorological chaos The sun has gone out in the middle of the day. Something's going on. Something weird is happening here. And somebody says, oh, and Jesus is saying something. What's he doing? Oh, he's just quoting a bit of Psalm, uh, Psalm, I think. He's quoting a bit of Psalm 22. Is he? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Is that what he's doing? Is he in a a Bible-quoting mood? No, he's not. He's actually describing through that Psalm what's happening. He's giving a commentary on his situation. He's forsaken by God. For the first time in eternity, he is in the outer darkness himself. The outer darkness that you and I would go to if we don't trust him. Well, why is he in the outer darkness? Because he's representing me. He is me. There was a rugby match yesterday. We asked him second just. We almost came third, I think. It was that bad. Ireland were in a different league to us. And there's all these fellows in the red uh, jerseys supporting. They can't do anything about the fellows on the pitch. The fellows on the pitch in the sense of representing them, but it's no pain to the people really in the crowd or they'll moan and groan afterwards uh, in their beer. But really, nothing has changed. It's not important, is it? But on the cross, what's happening? Jesus is representing me. God treats him, God the Father treats him as if he is me. Psalm 71 I read this week, I am weak, poor and needy. And then the following psalm, the Lord takes pity on the weak and needy. Thank God for that. Thank God for that. In the book of Romans, it hammers home that our problem is no one is righteous. Not even one. There's my problem. There's your problem. We are weak. We're in need. We don't have any righteousness at all. But in the gospel, then the news comes, but in the gospel of righteousness from God is revealed. How do I grab hold of this righteousness? By faith, it says. By faith in Jesus Christ. God made him. I read this just this morning. In fact, in 2 Corinthians 5. God made him who had no sin to become sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God. This is not a religious, just going through the motions, rid, ritual or rigmarole. This is divine, supernatural, miraculous intervention. In my place, condemned he stood, sealed my pardon with his blood. In my place, condemned he stood, looking as weak as tissue ribbon. But he's doing something in the darkness the power of weakness two of my friends had cancer roughly the same time in their mid-30s and they both said to the specialist more or less the same thing when the specialist came and said i'm afraid the remission is over there's no more we can do they both more or less said the same thing to the doctor doctor If you can't do any more, it's all right. It's all right. You're only 36. How is it all right? Well, they knew. Heaven was, God was calling. There was an appointment in heaven. No wonder John Wesley said, my people die well. See, it's only when we realize we we are weak, we are in need, only then will we know the power of God. When the last enemy comes for you, when the monster and monster death is a monster, when, when the monster of death comes, will you be like those two of my friends in the, just in their thirties, saying, it's, "It's all right, it's all right." You know the Schindler's List movie. You know the, there's that sadistic camp commander every now and again, just for fun, he picks up his rifle. And he focuses on some random Jew in, in the camp and just shoots him, just for fun, just for kicks. And he says to Schindler something like this, that's power. And Schindler says, no, power is when you could, you could kill him, you could, but you choose not to. Almighty God could have sent me to hell. He has the power, he has the right it's what I deserve. I would have no argument at all, but he chooses not to. He chooses to come here as a man. He chooses to suffer hell itself on the cross instead of me. Do you see that? When people say sometimes, uh, people say they're Christians, yeah, we've heard the gospel before, but no, I don't get fed up with this gospel. The crowds taunt him as he's on the cross. Come down if you are. The Son of God come down. He could have come down in a flashman, but there's the power of weakness. He chooses not to, for our sakes. There was a story just recently. I finished with this. Bill reports Betty to the police and accuses Betty of some serious crime. Betty's innocent, and eventually, eventually, long time later, is able to prove that she's innocent. But Betty knows, in proving her innocence she would have to admit and tell the police that Bill lied. And this would ruin Bill's life. And so Betty chooses her own life to be ruined. The people will still think that she did it rather than Bill's life to be ruined. I just do no, know. There is the strength of weakness. It looks like weakness. Why did not you tell everybody that you didn't do it? It looks like weakness, but it's not. And on the cross, all the vile labels that people can say about sin, you know, pride and arrogance and, you know, he's a rapist, he's a murderer, he's a slanderer, he's a pervert, whatever it is. And any, you know, all the labels that God would put on you and me, they're all laid on Jesus and he takes it all so that I can go free. Now, I I am absolutely convinced this is the best news possible. You shall know this truth. And this truth will set you free. Oh, that this might be reality in all our lives. Amen.